Yeah, thank you, Anna. That is a really good word, and I'm actually um, I'm talking a little bit about that from a different angle. But Sunday night, Joey was having us let go of some things, and the two things that came to me that I wrote down were fear and intimidation. And I had a picture of all of us when I was over there in worship, and it's like I see all of us, and it's true, and we are in like the quantum physics world. We're all little antennas. We're spiritual antennas, and we're tuning in all of the time to different frequencies. And it's like I see us on the FM dial, the heavens dial. I don't know why I think the heavens FM, but something <laughs> It's like I see us on this FM. It's like the enemy keeps coming along and switching it to AM. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, wait, wait, where's the... And you know that's just that static noise, and you're sort of trying to turn the receiver to get back in tune with what he's saying. We're supposed to be tuned in. Like, we're meant to be dialed in. Because we are like, we are spiritual antennas and receivers, but we're, but we're spiritual proclamators. Is that a word? Proclamator? Yes. Proclaimer. Proclaimer. Orator. We're, we're like, you know. And the problem is, and it is exactly what Anna's saying, you know, over the weeks we've been talking about the wilderness, and we're going in the wilderness, and we talked about taking spoil in the wilderness. And part of what, we can't take spoil in the wilderness unless we know how. And there has been this backlash of the enemy, and Recently, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've even ministered to a couple of women who've been experiencing a lot of unusual anxiety and intimidation and confusion. And the word that keeps coming up a lot is doubt. <clears throat> and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll read the definition. We're going to look at that in James in a minute. But there's a verse in Isaiah, and it says, when you, aren't, when you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. There's another verse in Proverbs that says, one man's story seems right until the other man comes along and tells his side. Right. And it's like what's happening in the atmosphere is you're, there's a lot of passion being proclaimed. Like I could get on the corner and proclaim passionately whatever it is I believe, and y'all could go, yeah, she is so passionate about that. That's awesome. Let's all go proclaim that. But what if it's wrong information? There's a lot of information out there on everywhere. This is not a political right or left, Republican or Democrat or independent. This is, there is a lot of information out in the atmosphere. And people are super passionate about it on all sides. And we tune in and we get super stirred up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that's. But then all of a sudden I change the dial and I go listen to another station. And I'm like, well, that seems right. Yeah. And what does that do? It makes me super unsteady. It makes me very unstable. And that is the insidious nature of doubt. And when doubt creeps in, it begins to have a voice that is a loud voice of intimidation, of confusion, of unbelief. And those are the things, you know, last week we talked about inheriting our promises and um, accessing our promises and making declarations. And it, that is about taking spoil in the wilderness. But I can't stand in a strong, firm position of faith and make powerful declarations, praying the word of God, knowing that these things are mine by inheritance, when the nature of doubt has got a foothold in my mind. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? And, you know, when there's this confusion and pervasive spirit of fear and intimidation, and the enemy's going to use whatever tactic, and I'm going to actually hone in on another one that I think is key. I feel like the Lord is really showing me a key of what's happening right now. When all of that's happening, it is creating chaos. And chaos doesn't just mean, oh, craziness. Like we think of chaos like chaos in your home when you have toddlers, you know, like ugh, chaos. Chaos is actually a void. Chaos is the absence of something. And when there's an absence of something, something or someone are gonna go and try to fill that void, right? You know when Jesus teaches and he says that um, when demons leave a house, when somebody has deliverance and demons leave the house, and yeah, they leave it all clean and empty, and that's all great for that day, but that man is supposed to fill his house because what happens? The enemy roams around seeking somewhere to go and fill and finds nothing. He returns to that person and finds the house empty and swept, swept clean but not filled. So seven more like it come back and enter in. That's chaos. That's a void. There's a scripture, and I should have written these scriptures down. It's in the Old Testament. That, um, 
somewhere, you can just find it in the Old Testament, that without prophetic vision, people perish for lack of knowledge. There's all, that word means actually in the, in the Hebrew it's disintegrate. People fall apart. They cast off all restraint when there's no prophetic vision. So in this atmosphere of chaos, we are meant to be tuning in to the frequency of heaven, to what God is saying, where there's this absence of truth, where there's this void, and we are going to fill the void with the prophetic word of the Lord. You know, he, he says, what, shall I not do a thing in the earth unless I first decree it to my prophets? And my prophets, then us, we prophetic women, we go and we're declaring and decreeing what God is saying. So again, I am not saying a political persuasion. I'm talking about truth yeah. with a capital T. Yeah. Truth with a capital T is the only thing that will go and fill that void yeah. and occupy it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know, um, remember in Malachi, he prophesies, and he's the last prophet that's in the recorded, you know, in the Old Testament, John the Baptist really was. But there's 400 years of silence. Y'all remember that? Mm -hmm. There's no word of the Lord for 400 years. So that's like generation after generation after generation of the fresh preceding word of God. What is he saying to his people? Because that is how he led his people. He spoke through the prophets and kings and so there's no accurate prophetic word of the Lord. And so they're, they, and they have the law, which was 252 or three, I can't remember how many laws at that time, okay? Fast forward to the New Testament when Jesus shows up and there are now 600 plus laws. So during the absent prophetic fresh word of the Lord and what God was truly saying, people added 40, 400 more laws because what do we do oh well i mean this is oh, let's do this and you know what over 100 of them were in prohibition of women right yep. so you see the judaizers show up in legalism and they're forcing jesus said burdens on people that they were never meant to bear that they could not bear so that heavy burden that came upon especially women children and slaves uh we saw that from jesus's time on that wasn't the truth of Jesus. That was not the fresh prophetic word of the Lord. And so we, I believe that we're seeing the same thing happen today. Is there's a lot of prognosticators. That's a word. Yes. <laughs> feeling so proud of myself. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of prognosticators out there declaring. And I fear that we are raising a generation of children that do not know how to hear truth you know it's the same thing in here it's like tickling ears like just tell me what I want to hear and that sounds right and that sounds good but is it true and that I believe it's like for me and I and we talked about it a little bit last week as prayer oh, I need to talk I need to read that definition in a second as prayerlessness entered in and I'm not talking about like I don't pray but I'm talking about how doubt infects my prayer prayer life in that well, I mean, I've been praying for that for weeks, and I still feel this way. So, or that person didn't get healed, and so, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. prayerlessness. Mm -hmm. Like, it, what's the point, you know? Or, well, my life is prayer. I'm a spiritual antenna. I'm always praying, because I've said that too. I'm in union with God. I'm always praying. There is a lifestyle of prayer. My life is a living prayer, but I have to be saying some things out of my mouth. I really do. I have got to be declaring some things. I do want to read this. Please turn to James 1. And it talks about doubt. And I think it's really powerful. And I'm going to read it in the Passion. I forgot my readers again. But by faith today, I'm going to see. I actually think I can see today. I do, Karen. I'm going to. Mm -hmm. This is, a, this is a, a faith thing. Because I believe that Jesus is healing my eyes. All right, James 1, verse 5. If anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. Just make sure you ask, empowered by confident faith, 
without doubting that you will receive. For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and tossed down the next. Man, have I not felt that way. <laughs> Especially when he, I got knocked down last week coming to Bible study. That was nice. You're up one minute and tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? Doubt is a schism. Doubt is a, it literally means that. It literally is a separation in our thinking. It divides out. Oh, I want to go somewhere and I can't. It'll get me off. It'll make me unstable. <laughs> Doubt works like a separation between my life union with Jesus and living from him and then, oh, now I'm outside and I'm just begging him for something. It is a separation in um, what I know to be true with a capital T and what I'm kind of sort of hoping I, I believe is right and I'm grasping and praying out of fear. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, last week we were talking about, when we were talking about accessing our inheritance and we were talking about and we prayed even and made declarations of the promises of God that we were contending for. And I, I gave you the example of, you know, even Jesus in Psalm 2, he made the declaration of what his father said over him. <clears throat> he made the declaration that, that this is the decree that I heard from my father. And my father said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So even Jesus, he's once, to, and he then talked about, and he said, and the father said, ask me for the nations and I will give them to you. So there is a partnership that the Father, that Jesus, that Holy Spirit wants with us in saying back to him and out into the atmosphere what he has spoken. I'm coming into agreement, which is more powerful, and I'm saying what he is saying. I am not saying what the voice of intimidation and fear and doubt and those things are saying to me because he wants to give us an inheritance. And he wants us to be able to access it. And so today I'm going to talk about, um, and I'm not going to tell you what I'm talking about yet. First, turn to Ephesians 6. Turn to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read it again in the Passion. I feel like just in this last season that I've been in, just in kind of, and Anna talked about it, intimacy, just an intimacy with him, kind of asking, you know, what's going on, not just with me, but also as a prophetic person, what's happening in the body, what's going on in the world right now, what are you saying and what are you doing? Those are like questions we should always be asking. What are you saying? What are you doing? Who do you want to be for me right now that I've never known you to be before? What side of your character, what side of your nature. So in doing that, I've then also now come to this place of, well, what happened? Like, if I feel knocked off course, which I did, if I began to feel a little bit shrunk back and not myself, not typically how Kelly lives her life, what was going on? And I do feel like he's shown me this, like, massive assignment. I'm still not going to tell you what it is yet. Ephesians chapter 6, verse starting in verse uh, 10. Now, by my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. I really believe that right now the strategy that we are seeing the most that has been coming against us is accusation. Yes. Yes. And accusation, we can mistake it sometimes because it takes all different forms. And accuser in the Greek is kategoreo, K-A-T-E-G-O-R-E-O. We get our word categories from that. 
this is why this is a little separate category and this is a, these are good these are bad this is do this is don't this is in this is out you, you know so we we separate divide so categoria means to accuse before a judge to speak against in court and that's what's happening all of the time and we're going to read a couple other verses of course i want to jump to them right now but revelation 12 10 Turn to that. Read Revelation 12.10. Is Revelation in the Passion? It is. It is? Oh, yeah, there it is. It is. Um, then I heard a triumphant voice in heaven proclaiming, now salvation and power are set in place, and the kingdom reign of our God and the ruling authority of his anointed one are established. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who relentlessly accused them day and night before our God, has now been defeated, cast out once and for all, and they conquered him through the blood of the Lamb and the powerful word of their testimony. So accusation that's happening, and it says, and it's in and it's happening in a courtroom, and that courtroom is right here. That courtroom is right here. Look at me. This is the courtroom, right here. And the thoughts that I listen to all day, and the voice that I'm being swayed by, is making a case either for me or against me, right? And the accuser is making accusations before God night and day. He's speaking accusations to me day and night. Even in Job, he made an accusation against Father God. Yeah. He, he literally accuses God. And so the accuser, it's what does he accuse with? What is he accusing with? And, and first of all, it's a spirit. It's a demon. And he accuses with, first of all, he knows the word, because remember, what, is, what was his accusation to Jesus in the wilderness? If you are the son of God. What had Jesus just heard the declaration of? You are my beloved son. He goes in the wilderness, accusation, if you are the son of God. What did Jesus do? Declared the word. What did the enemy use to make accusation, though, also? The word. And he actually even quoted it correctly sometimes, but used it in the wrong spirit to accuse. I'd like to say. One of the ways that you can recognize accusation is the tone of it is condemnation, not conviction. Yes. Holy Spirit brings conviction and it feels good. You know it's right. It's full of good fruit. It's full of grace and love and mercy. Holy Spirit can say, Kelly, you shouldn't have talked to that person that way yesterday. That really was not kind. And I can go, oh my gosh, you were so right, and I repent. The enemy goes, Kelly, you should not have talked to that person that way yesterday. The tone of it, the source of it, the spirit of it, everything in me goes, oh my God, I'm such a worm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. It's what? Punishment. Yes, it is. Like yeah. Insecurity rather than confidence. Yeah. So source is always hugely important. So... He knows the word, the, the accuser. He knows the word. He watches. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our habits. He studies our habits, and he listens to the words out of my mouth. So after my surgery and everything, when I am always saying out of my mouth, I feel terrible. I don't think I'm ever going to get better. I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. I know it's not true. I know it makes no sense, but literally I think I said it every day. And what started happening? I literally felt like I was, I mean, my breathing truly was getting shallow. I was having massive anxiety and panic attacks because he was beating the hell out of me with the words out of my mouth. You know, and as soon as I say this, I'm not, I don't want us to get into this legalistic thing where we go around and we won't say anything. Because I've done that. You know, like, 
Yeah. You know, like I've got 105 fever and the flu. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. That's just stupid. You know, that's denial. But it's what am I continuing to proclaim out of my mouth that is showing you a belief system? And it might just even be a little thing. Like I didn't really, I don't, never have thought, now don't think, probably didn't even really think then that I really was going to die. But it was like he was trying to build this little root system that I would begin to draw from and live from that was a belief system, which is what 2 Corinthians 10 says is a stronghold in our mind. And so we have to be super aware of those and recognizing the source, recognizing where it's come from. The accusing spirit, um, he's going to bring up past failures, brings up past mistakes. He says things like, well, you know what you should have done? Or, you know, if you had only done this, and you could have done this better, you could have tried, it's promoting legalism, and it partners with the spirit of religion. Accusation partners with religion, and I don't want to say all the time, but it drives me into having to do and be, do something instead of just be who I am, who God's made me to be. If you had, um, you know, had a longer quiet time, if you prayed more, if you'd only remembered to pray for that person or because you didn't pray for that person, this happened. All of that is accusation. Um, the fruit of the accusing spirit is guilt, fear, condemnation, Intimidation, shame, doubt, unbelief, hate. I know, y'all, I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll know them. Being judgmental, a critical spirit. I can also listen to a spirit of accusation. I can agree with it, and then I can begin to say it myself. People with a critical spirit and a judgmental spirit have probably lived from a very early life of, of shame and listening to that voice of accusation that you begin to think it's your own. So you begin to be critical. You begin to accuse. You begin to be judgmental. You see? Because you partnered with it. The accusing spirit, it wants to become one with you where you think that it's who you really are. It's like that you believe the lie or you believe that a failure, you believe that you really are terrible. Like it makes you identify with the mistake. Like you tell a lie, he tells you you're a liar. Um, my kids are little and I'm constantly feeling like not enough, you know? Like when my kids are little, like, am I doing enough? Did I do this? Did I do this? And the accusing voice is like, you know what? You're such a bad mom. And I begin to think and say, I'm such a bad mom. I feel like such a bad mom. I feel like such a bad mom. And if ever there was more pressure on a generation than this one, I, I don't even know. I, I just, I feel like I meet with young women all the time. And just the books that are even out there about what you have to do, you're supposed to do, you know, don't do this, you have to do... I, I don't even want to say, because I don't want anyone in here to think that I'm making a judgment about what's right or wrong. But I'm just saying... We didn't have that. Like, I didn't have all of those books. I kind of had babies, and I just was like, well, I'm just going to do what comes naturally, by God. And the pressure, and then, like, I talked to women who then, for whatever reason, they can't nurse, don't want to nurse, and then the judgment that comes out of them for not nursing. What? I'm sorry. Please don't do that if you're doing that. Or anesthesia. I mean, labor and, labor and delivery, vaccine or not, you know. Grow your own cotton and weave your own clothes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we have the homeschool one a little bit. Homeschool or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a green receptacle outside with your recycling? <laughs> what? What's your one? Uh, yeah. Disposable diapers, yeah. And my mother-in-law said, "Little, my children were potty trained by the time they were seven months old. I'm like, what? Seriously? Well, they did have cloth diapers. It was bigger motivation. 
But do you see how those are categories? Do you see how they separate? They divide? They judge? They accuse? It's the wrong spirit. It's not unifying. It's not union and origin and flowing from the life force of Jesus. Because each one of us is guided and led by Holy Spirit. For years, I tried to be Joey's Holy Spirit and tell him what to do and leave him around because I was more spiritual, because I knew more. I was filled with spirit before you, you know, and that doesn't work. I'm not Joey's Holy Spirit, and we're not each other's Holy Spirit. We each are led by him individually, and he knows us. He knows how we're wired. He knows how he made us. He knows the call and the gift on my life. And so we have no right to assert ourselves onto someone else and make it a law. That's good. Because that was what happened when there was no fresh proceeding word of the Lord. I'm on a little bit of a soapbox. But I want y'all to be free. I want young women to be free, to be excited about who they are and who God made them to be and what feels right for them, for their children and with their marriage and their family and to be able to say it and not feel they're going to receive some pushback and some judgment, right? And I'm not talking about, there's nothing wrong with presenting wisdom, but well, have you thought about this? And you're like, oh gosh, no, I haven't. Thank you for, you know, that there's that. I'm not saying let's be an island and go, well, God told me because that is, no. I love that Dano McCollum said, when we train prophetically, I'm not sure that we do this, but I'm thinking we need to be better. The whole statement, if you, if you talk to somebody and you feel like, oh, I can't believe they're going to do this or go this direction, they say, well, God said. Well, what does that do? Shut the door. Well, I can't say anything then about that because if God said, and I was talking to Dan McCollum when we were out in Vacaville, and he said, that's a foul in our, in our community. You're not allowed to say God's, well, God said. Even like in giving a prophetic word, he said, I feel like the Lord said, because that gives room for critique. That gives room for discussion. Oh, okay, well, let's talk about that. And I've seen a lot of people make the mistake and believe that God said something and spend years waiting for the fulfillment of that word that none of us thought God said. That's why it's so important to judge our words. When you get a prophetic word, number one, you're the most powerful person in that equation. You get to judge the word. You get to say, flush that thing. Doesn't sound at all like it's God. Or, hey, yeah, that is a good word, and I, my spirit identifies with it. And then secondly, you take it to trusted people around you and help them judge the word. That's a healthy, prophetic community. That's what we're creating. So that was a total side, and now I hope I can find where I was going to go. Um, the accusing spirit. Uh, they identify. Hmm. Oh, okay, and the other thing is that the accusing spirit, this is another way to determine, is this accusation or is this truly just conviction from God? The accusing spirit always causes the focus to be on me. The focus is on self. Where Holy Spirit, his, whatever he's saying, Jesus is always lifted up. Jesus is always the focus. Do you see? Do you know, does that make sense? And so in Revelation 12, we read verse 11, then it says, They overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb. So number one, what overcomes accusation has already been done for us on the cross. The blood of Jesus has already been shed, and I live from that place. I am not... Once again out because I sinned and screwed up and I got to get back in and plead the blood. I'm not saying that there's not such a thing as repentance, but I get to live from victory. I live from healing. I live from forgiveness. I live from grace. Accusation says you're outside of that now because you screwed up. And so you need to ask for for more forgiveness and more grace and more victory. I live from it because I am in, we read it in Ephesians chapter one, I live from life union with Jesus and his powerful force flows through me. I'm not separate. So they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And so that in my mind, in this courtroom right here, it means I am reminding, uh uh-uh, I live from a place of victory. I have the faith of God in me. I live from grace. 
and they, then they ever came and by the word of their testimony, how does it say in the, in the passion? The powerful word of their testimony. And so we have a part. When I, years ago, I came from the theology that everything's already been done and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're just predetermined that this is what you're going to do and there's, you have no say. You're kind of like pawns on a chessboard. And so you didn't, like, pray for things. I didn't feel like I could change the course of history because it had already been written for me. Did anybody else grow up with that? Like, <laughs> And so what this is saying, they did overcome by the blood of the Lamb, but they also overcame by the word of their testimony. So you have a part to play. So I'm overcoming him. I'm overcoming accusation by saying what Jesus is saying. Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I like that word overcome. I just looked it up for some reason today in the Greek. The word overcome means to conquer, to get the victory, when one is arraigned or goes to court to win the case. So that's what we're doing. And so Revelation 1.5, it says that Jesus is the faithful witness. So the spirit of prophecy being the testimony of Jesus is whatever Jesus' testimony is, that's the verdict. That's what stands. That is what conquers and wins the case. So when I get into agreement with what Jesus is saying, the enemy does not have a stand a chance, does not stand a chance to accuse me in the courtroom. That will defeat that thing like that. Shirley? You have a right to remain silent. <laughs> Good. I put you on notice. You have a right to remain silent. Yeah, anything that you say, that is good. That's exactly what we get to say to him. Um. <laughs> okay, hang on. I'm trying to figure out what I have time for. Okay, so let's use some courtroom language. And also, I, I do know that there's books and stuff out there, and I'm not particularly adhering to anyone. I haven't even actually read the whole book about courtroom stuff. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Courts of Heaven. Courts of Heaven. That's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. And then there's some other teachings out there, and um, I, I think some of it's really good, and some of it I don't necessarily agree with. But you can't get away from the courtroom language that's used here. And I like it a little bit, especially when we're talking about dealing with the enemy. I think some of it, sometimes we read it from the other side as if we are the ones being. Like, I used to read it that way. Like, because I came from such a denominational thing of God's mad at you, and God is going to punish you. It, we get to flip it. This courtroom thing is that the verdict has already been handed down. We win. We're victorious. We're living from that place, and the enemy is the one who's been put on notice. And so I love when I'm thinking about prayer in this situation because we're actually bringing evidence against him. And we're bringing divine justice upon him. And so when I'm using this language, I want you to, to, to think about, about that. So the courtroom, remember, that's happening right here in my mind. And I want you to turn to Hebrews 12 because I think it's a really good depiction of it. And I'm going to read it from the Passion. We've read this in here before. Um, <clears throat> Verse um, 22. By contrast, we have already come. So this is where we live. This is, we're here. Near to God in a totally different realm, the Zion realm. For we have entered the city of the living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. We have joined the festal gathering of myriads of angels in the joyous celebration and as members of the church of the firstborn, all our names have been legally registered as citizens of heaven. And we have come before God who judges all and who lives among the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in his eyes. That's us. We have a right to be there. We've been made perfect. And we have come to Jesus who established a new covenant with his blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. 
blood that can, continues to speak from heaven forgiveness. A better message than Abel's blood that cries from the earth justice. Abel's blood, that justice was crying guilt and condemnation. Jesus' blood satisfied justice's demands. Jesus' blood nullified the cry for justice, the cry for revenge, guilt, condemnation. Jesus' blood trumped all of that. It's a better word. And verse 25, make very sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks. So that's where we are. We have come into this place and before the throne room of God. And we go there based upon Jesus' blood. We have a right to be there. When you have been seated in heavenly places, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Ephesians 1 and 2. You have been raised and seated there with him. He has put you there, which means you have a right to be there. You have the authority to be in that seat. And I told y'all how the instance where Anne-Marie demonstrated it so lovingly, <laughs> where I got knocked out, you know, passed out cold in the Bible study years ago. And the next week, the Lord told me, you do not ever give your authority to another again. So we stand in a really powerful position of authority. And that authority comes from, I am super confident in who I am, who God has made me to be, and who he is in me. And you can't get me off course because I know that. Now, I might be taken off course a little bit. I might get a little bit shaky, but I remind myself, I testify in this courtroom. I'm testifying of who he is, who he is in me, and who he has made me to be. So the only way that I give that authority is if I give it. By agreeing with the liar. By agreeing with with the accusation. So you have a right to be there. You have the authority. And we go before the righteous judge. And everything that he, all of his verdict over you is righteousness, is grace, is mercy. Because Jesus went before you. Because Jesus' blood has satisfied all of that stuff that could accuse you. And so... We can look at it. We don't have time in the Old Testament. So he hears the accusation of the accuser, but he hears our testimony. And a witness, what is a, a testimony actually means witness. And what does a witness do? If you're called to court, which I always do everything I can to get out of it, if you're on jury duty, you just sit there. You don't actually get to bring anything before the judge. What am I saying? But if I was the witness in a case, what am I going to do? Testify. Testify to what I have seen and to what I have heard. So all of that's going on, and my testimony is not, and again, this is happening in prayer. This is all dialoguing with God. My testimony is not excuses. Like, Lord, I know that I shouldn't have done that, but did you see what they said? And the reason that I did, do y'all ever find yourself praying and talking to God, but yet you listen to yourself going, this is so dumb. Why am I even, I'm making all these excuses. Or it's not making a list of everything that's wrong. Like, I can find myself sometimes praying, and it's complaining. It's not praying. It's not standing firm in faith. It's not receiving. And, and when, you, when I say, let me just back up and say this, what I said in the very beginning, those who are not in faith do not stand firm in faith or not firm at all. You have been given faith. You live from the faith of the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. Everyone's been given a measure of faith. So it's, again, it's him in us. It's not mustering up. Well, I need to have faith for something. It's you live from faith, okay? So it's not works. It's not trying. It's something you already possess. It's yours. So it's living from his faith. And so sometimes when I find myself, I'm, like, praying, and I'm, like, just listing everything that's wrong with me, wrong with my children. It's all of this stuff. No, I need to learn to... The, the whole thing with dialoguing with God is what is he saying over my situation? What are you doing? What are you saying? And then I get in agreement with that, and I begin to declare that. I love how Graham Cook talks about writing crafted prayers. I don't know if you've ever listened to that teaching, or, or I, he might even have a little booklet on it. But it's so powerful. Because he was talking about, especially in this prayer woman for a woman who had terminal cancer, and... If any of you have ever been in this situation where you're praying for a loved one like that and you, you begin to just pray in this desperation kind of thing, and a lot of times it's out of fear. Right. 
a lot of times it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this, you know, this has to happen, I'm praying this and I'm praying that. And he said, you know, that's what they would do. And they were just like, lo- it was just like just lobbing things out there. Nothing's hitting the mark. But when they got into agreement with what are you saying over this situation right now? What are you doing? What are you saying? And people start saying things. And if two or three people said these, they're like, okay, well, he's saying that. There's agreement. And as they are beginning to get into agreement, they craft a prayer. And that's what they declare out of their mouth. So I feel like in this situation, when accusation is trying to have such a prevailing voice, and let me tell you something, at least to me, sometimes he comes with some pretty good sounding evidence. He's stacking up, you know. Well, you did this, you did, and you did this, and you did this, and you did this. So you're guilty. Do y'all ever? Yeah. Or they did this and this and this. So you have a right to be mad at them, and you have a right to not forgive them. And then what does that do? Again, yeah, because I can't hold unforgiveness. And so if the accusation is lining up evidence and I get to overcome that junk by my testimony, I am presenting evidence, no, Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for that person. Though that hurt, though clearly that was wrong, I have the ability within me because I live from a place of forgiveness I get to extend forgiveness. It doesn't condone the right, but it's actually releasing the person and releasing me. If he's accusing me of something, I get to agree with God. You know what, God? I did. I am so sorry. Like, I come before you, and I I said this about that person, and I shouldn't have, and I thank you for your blood that cleanses me. It's broken. Instead of going into the whole shame and guilt and the way it makes me feel, insecure, I don't deserve to get up here and speak. I'm, you know. So when I'm agreeing, turn to Ephesians 1. When I'm agreeing and declaring what the Lord said, that is how I'm accessing my inheritance. If we're going to take spoil in the wilderness, first of all, I need to know what the spoil is. If I am going to be able to access my inheritance, then I need to start praying some bold prayers, but I need to get an agreement with what it is that he's saying. In Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, verse 13 and 14. I'm trying so hard to read without readers. <laughs> Let's see. I'm just going to start in the second half. Now, we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. He is our hope promise of a future inheritance which seals us until we have all the redemption's promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. So because I have Holy Spirit, I've got the the first fruits. He's the promise for all of it. Holy Spirit's the one I'm partnering with and dialoguing with. He's the one who is telling me what my inheritance is. He is giving me the word and pulling out of the word so that I can access that thing. And I love that when Jesus was talking to the disciples, and remember, like they, it was in John 14 and 16, I can't remember, John 14, 15, and 16, he's talking to the disciples. And he's telling them, you know what, it's better if I go. And they're thinking, well, why? We're like, what the Savior, like, you're doing like all these miracles, and how can that be better? And he tells his disciple, oh, let's turn to it. I can't just say it. Turn to it. I'm going to read it in the ESV. I think I'm just going to read it in the English Standard. John 16. Because this is a key for how we access the promises, how we access the spoil. In John 16, he's telling us it's better if I go. Cancel John 16. Um, starting in verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you 
the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here's what's happening. We already have Holy Spirit. This is before Jesus goes to the cross, of course. He's saying, it's better for you if I go. Because when I go, Holy Spirit, he's going to come. And he's going to guide you into all truth. For he's going to speak, not on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he's going to speak to you. So that's what's happening when Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine. So Jesus is saying, what is mine? All that the Father has given me is mine. That's Jesus saying, this is my inheritance. And I am going to give you my inheritance by declaring it to you. So how does our inheritance come to us? In word form. When Jesus speaks, his words are containers full of that thing. The word contains within itself the ability to perform it. So when Jesus' words, Holy Spirit in me, is telling me what the Father is saying, what Jesus is saying, and he's giving it to me in the form of words, and when I make declarations in agreement with what he's saying, I'm accessing my inheritance. Do you see that? Yeah. So by words, we're in agreement and we speak them out. But that does take faith, doesn't it? That takes believing what he's saying and speaking it out. And remember that when we make declarations like we did last week, that words do have the ability within them to become worlds, to become that realm. So what he's saying is here, all things are mine and I'm going to give them to you. So if I have all things, like I have this fat inheritance up there, all things, I don't have full possession of it yet, do I? So I need to learn how to make withdrawals on my account. I need to learn how to access that and make a withdrawal. <laughs> when I was in college, I was so dumb. I, don't, I think I was a sophomore in college. I guess ATM machines were kind of new for all of you young people. The ATM machines were new, and I went to the ATM machine at the grocery store, and I did the whole, like, check your balance, and I was just going to withdraw, withdraw some money um, to go out, and I saw there was $600 in there. I was like, oh my gosh, there's $600, and so I just quickly just took it all out. <laughs> because, you know, plus I was stealing if it wasn't mine. You know, but I was like, oh, this is amazing, like 600 I took it all out, not knowing... My dad had made the deposit for rent and utilities and all that stuff. <laughs> but hey, I was just going to access what was mine. I'm just taking it all out. And so then, you know, bounce checks all over the place. But <laughs> I owed a whole lot more than $600 to get back to the bank. But I was so excited because I'm like, hey, if it's mine, I'm taking it. Even if it's not mine, that was bad. That's, I should have done that. So we have to know, though, how to make a withdrawal. And so I need to know what's in my account. It's like for Annie, like whenever we'll make a deposit or if I don't tell her, like she needs money, but I don't, I put money in her account and I don't tell her. Well, she's eating ramen noodles for three days. You know, like she doesn't know she has money in the bank that she could actually maybe go have a good meal with her friends. She's gonna stay home and continue to eat the ramen noodles. It's the same thing. What do I have access to? If I don't have some things that are clearly mine by scripture, it is a right, it is an inheritance of a child of God, it probably comes from lack of asking. And I think I quoted it last week and I heard Bill Johnson say it a couple weeks ago, but he said, one major re reason for personal lack in people's lives is prayerlessness. It is a lack of asking. You have not because you ask not. So I need to learn to make withdrawals on my account. It is faith that makes the withdrawal. Um, I don't want to read that. Turn to Hebrews 11. We live by the faith of the Son of God. I told you that. Galatians 2.20. It's not something that we're trying to muster up. We're living from Him. And in Hebrews, again, I'm going to read it from the Passion. We're doing a lot of Bible today. Are you all okay? Yeah. yeah. Hebrews 11, 
We're going to look at faith. I like it here in the Passion a lot. Do y'all all have the Passion? Yeah. yeah. Small print. Small print. <laughs> you need to get the large print. I I clearly need the large print now. Okay. Let me just read it. Uh, verse 1 through 3 in the Passion. Pretty much I think you could just get up here and read the Passion, just the Bible, and that just be the message. Just yeah. read it. No commentary. <laughs> now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that we see. So faith brings our hopes, and that's just not a wishing, you know, I hope, I wish. Hope, remember, is the confident expectation of good. It's something you know is going to happen. You're confidently expecting it. You're not just sitting back. You're like on the door front looking out for it to come to you. So it brings all of our hopes into reality. It is all the evidence required to prove. And remember that word prove means to test as genuine. Remember we talked about documentso? It's testing the genuineness of something. So that's all we need to prove what is still unseen. It's like, I haven't seen gravity, but I have faith in gravity. I believe gravity. <laughs> you know? Like, I've experienced its effect, so I know it. I believe it. It says faith empowers us to see. So faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. So remember at the beginning in Genesis 1, when Holy Spirit's hovering over that, he's hovering over literally chaos. There is a void. Something needs to be filled. God speaks, and the universe takes shape and form. When he is telling us and instructing us here and giving us this example of what faith is, he is saying, you have access to this same faith, and you get to create with it just like he did. It's part of your inheritance to use the faith of God in agreement with what he is saying and declare out of your mouth that that thing might come into existence though it does not exist yet. It's like women and the testimonies of women who have not been able to get pregnant and have had a really hard time and maybe you've gone years and then somebody makes a declaration out of their mouth and lo and behold, a month later they're pregnant. Something that was not now is because a declaration is made. I gave you examples last week of some of the, the prophetic words that were spoken out at church on Sunday night, and two of them by Monday had already happened. So though we don't have to understand it all or know why, God is saying to make declarations. And when we make declarations, that thing actually comes into being. So I know for me, I have some huge promises for me, huge promises for my children. And I haven't seen them all yet. But I want to see them. So I am getting an agreement and crafting some powerful prayers and making some powerful declarations because I know that I will see that thing. Yeah. I'm praying in the agreement and alignment with the heart of the Father. I know that his desires, what his, some of his desires are for my children. And so I am not just going to sit back and, you know, hope that happens. No, I'm going to declare it to happen and believe and see that it's going to. I'm going to create some worlds. So when God is speaking the universe into existence, like his voice, the vibrations and the frequency that he is speaking on literally caused matter to scramble together and take shape and form. When we speak out of our mouth, again, remember, like string theory, is that at the center of all matter are vibrating strings of energy. This book, oh no. This book is vibrating. It may not look like it's vibrating, but it is made of strings of energy, and it is vibrating at a certain frequency. I am vibrating at a certain frequency. He has tuned in my frequency 
the frequency that I am meant to be responding to in agreement with is his frequency, what he's saying. I'm tuned in. And when I say that, my words literally have energy. My words literally have a vibratory frequency that cause things to happen. Like we could sit here and watch if I had them. Like cool examples of this, where matter takes different shape and form based upon the frequency of someone's voice or someone singing. Did y'all see that example? I saw it on Facebook recently. It's some children, and I don't remember where they were. They, it was a school experiment, and in the hallway, they had a plant. There was plexiglass around it. One plant, every day, they'd walk by, you're such a loser, you're so stupid, you're so ugly. And the other one, they're like, you're awesome. Man, you're so great. You're amazing. We love you. And that, by golly, within one month, that one plant was just wilted down and withered away, and that other plant was, like, fat and abundant. That was, like, just the school, and it was about, I think it was for bullying is what it was. But what a great, vivid example is that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And what we say is actually going to happen. And when, and actually, even when we're speaking words of death, there, it is a lower frequency than words of life. Essential oils have a frequency that is higher, that, that what am I, negates sickness. And medicine is on a lower frequency that can actually bring harm. Every, I, don't, I didn't even mean to talk about frequencies. <laughs> Everything has a frequency. And we have got to learn to hear what is he saying and be determined that that's the only thing I'm going to be saying out of my mouth. And that is how it literally will create a universe in front of me. Because God has given it to me to use just as he did. Okay, I want to finish. Um, oh, if you looked at verse 33, it's one of my very favorite verses. Let's just look at it for because it's great. Verse 33 of that chapter. It says, through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. That's what we're doing. Their, our faith is fastening onto that thing, and I am going to be a dog on a bone, and I am not letting go until I pull that thing into reality. That's what faith does. Years ago, when I first got filled with the Spirit and I first heard about healing, because I had been taught that God gives cancer to make you holy or, you know, teach you a lesson or something, keep you humble. I kind of grew up with that. So when I grabbed a hold of healing, I mean, I was like, this is the most amazing news ever. Like, and why not? And of course, and I'm a word person, so I got in the word and I had scriptures and I just, I was so full of it. And I think I've told this in here before, but. My kids were little, and we lived on a cul-de-sac, and all the neighborhood kids are outside playing, and they run up to the door, and they're like, Miss Vesti, the baby bird, we found this bird, and he's dead. And so I went out there with this beautiful little bluebird, and he's dead. I mean, he's just stiff, and it just flies out of my mouth. I just, I was so full of this, because I was spending hours upon hours, like, with the word in me every day. I walked up to that bird, and I poked him, and I was like, no, in Jesus' name, you will live and not die. I command life to come into you. And I mean, if that little bird didn't, like, just pop up, come back to life. And I was kind of like, oh, my gosh. And all the little kids are running around going, Miss Festy healed the bird. Miss Festy healed the bird. And my friends already thought I was a nut because I went the whole charismatic way. And so they're all looking at me like, oh, she's lost it. She's lost it. She's raised a bird from the dead. And it was awesome. We had played with the bird. But I look back, and I have another example to tell you, but I look back, and it's like if there was ever a time where the faith of Jesus rose up from out of me, you know, it's like Jesus was moved with compassion or righteous indignation, and everything rises up. And we were living in Austin, and there was a family in our church. They had a baby, and the baby was, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with the baby, but the baby was basically failing to thrive and had been in and out of the hospital. And they came for the pastors for prayer, and then they came for the elders to go up and pray for the baby. And I knew all this prayer had happened, and I was like, well, who am I to go pray for the baby? I mean, I'm not just going to add. I mean, they've all prayed for the baby, obviously, but I knew God was telling me to pray for that baby. And I didn't go up there and pray that day. They, we didn't see him for a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, they come, and I see him from the corner of my eye, and they looked so dejected and down, and, like, they hadn't had any sleep. And they had the baby was hooked up to tubes and oxygen, little portable oxygen tank. And, I mean, before I knew what I was doing, a church was starting. Like, the pastor was starting to talk. 
And before I knew what I was doing, I walk up over this baby and I grab the baby and I grab the parents and I just began prophesying over the baby. His name was Samuel. I began prophesying, this is who God says you are and this is what you're going to do with your life. And you parents, this is who you're raising. I was declaring what was going to be. I wasn't just saying be healed in Jesus' name. I was declaring prophetically over his life and the life on those words. I could feel it coming up and out of me like it was divine justice being administered. That what the enemy went for wrong, what the enemy was doing for this child, the exact opposite of what Jesus said was coming out of my mouth. And that next week, and there had been so much prayer and all this stuff that had gone on, that next week, I'm not paying attention, announcements are going on, and I hear someone talking, and I look up, and they are testifying that they took the baby back, and the baby had already gained like pounds that it shouldn't have gained. It was completely healed. Amen. <laughs> so that is what we have access to all the time. In the courtrooms of heaven, in that courtroom, it's when the enemy, when the accuser, when sickness, when death, when all of that stuff, we get to administer divine justice because we are standing in the victory of the cross. We're standing with and saying what Jesus is saying. And every time we do that, we get to see those things bow to the name of Jesus. We get to see healing manifest. I get to see forgiveness and reconciliation in a family. I get to like rise up out of my bed and saying I'm going to die to living from this vibrant place, right? And so that all of you, when we are contending for the promises of God, when we are taking spoil in the wilderness, that's how we do it. And so what I want to do, and Anne-Marie and Anna did it for us in the way of intimidation, but I want to silence the lying lips of accusation. And I want you to first just recognize any way that you have possibly partnered with the voice of accusation. Like, just to think about it really quickly. <clears throat> oh, boy. <laughs> you have to write it all down. But just have you partnered, perhaps, in any way with the voice of accusation? And then what's the fruit of that? How is that manifesting? What's the fruit of it? And so like we did weeks ago, what I do is I come out of agreement, come out of agreement with that. I refuse to partner with that. Like Shirley said, I put you on notice. You have a right to remain silent. You will not speak anymore. Um, I repent for you know, beginning to whatever, act upon it, believe the lie, whatever that is, whatever it is you need to do. So just jot down anything right now really quickly. Last year, I don't remember, but the Lord spoke to me one day and he just said that you are the legislative branch of my government and you execute justice. Which means we have the authority to execute his justice. And that's what we're doing here today. Okay, I'm just going to pray. And first of all, Lord, we just thank you that we stand in such a place of victory and completeness in, in you. I thank you, Lord, that we are not trying hard or begging to get into a place that Jesus, you have paid by your blood. You have made provision for us to stand for, as a place of overcomers and conquerors and victorious, that we live from victory, not for it, not to it. And we just declare that we get to stand in this place and we get to overcome the enemy and every voice of accusation by the power of, of your blood, but also by the word of our testimony. And so, Lord, we just say that we um, repent for coming into agreement with the spirit of accusation. And for believing all of the lies and for manifesting fruit from that voice. And we just declare that we do not have voice. We do not have ears. Sorry. We do not have ears for the voice of accusation, of condemnation, of guilt, or fear of intimidation. We do not have ears to hear that voice. But we only have ears to hear what you are saying. 
And so, Lord, we come out of agreement with that voice. We refuse to partner it with it. We condemn it in Jesus' name. I take authority over and I silence every lying lip of the enemy. I take authority over every voice of accusation that has been spoken in your ears. I declare that that voice is null and void by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power and the authority that he has given me. I silence every lie. I take out from the root every bit of fruit that that accusation has manifested. We declare that that thing will shrivel up and die back to its root. And I just proclaim that the prophetic, sharp word of the Lord that is in you comes up out of you and we fill the house with that. I just declare that the Lord has made you powerful and strong and victorious, that you are not guilty, you are not condemned, you do not have to shrink back, you get to rise up and stand in a place of executing divine justice over all of the place of the enemy. And anything that has been stolen from you, anything that has been destroyed or killed, we just declare life over that right now in Jesus' name. I just declare that the abundant, victorious life that Jesus came for, that you have it. It is all yours. You have access to it in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you come and do such a thorough, complete work. And that we would be so quick to recognize accusation. That we would be so quick to deny its influence and we give it no access in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for the promises of God. We thank you, Lord, for the rich inheritance that you've given us. And we thank you that as we begin to lean in and listen to what you're saying over our lives, over our families, children, ministry, marriages, Lord, as we begin to declare that out of our mouth, I thank you, Lord, that it will be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.